So this year we've been on the, uh, the study of Reformation. And we're going to continue to look at Reformation on this Sunday. Reformation through wisdom. Reformation through wisdom. Reformation through wisdom. <clears throat> Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I mean, that, that's a powerful quote. You cannot keep yourself alive. You cannot. You cannot keep your money. Money comes, money goes. You cannot keep your health. Most of us can't even keep our own sanity, truth be told. If you flip it on the other end, it says that a wise person knows and understands that he should definitely give up what he can't keep in order to make sure he can have what he needs to gain and not lose. Like, that makes sense. That's a good deal, right? Yeah. To give up this orange that's going to rot and die in order to have gold that doesn't perish. And that's all on a physical level. But the scriptures are going to reveal to us the necessity of what we give up as it relates to what we gain. And Christians have to understand that when you get saved, you're, you're coming into that life. Okay, not what, the, not what the new age prosperity message is telling you, that you get saved so you can live your best life, your better life, and have bigger this and better that. Okay, that's not, that's not gospel, okay? The true gospel says that you give up something that is already perishing, that you might then have something that will never perish. And that makes sense, right? It's hard for us to, to recognize that something we want so bad is temporary. Ooh. It's a gut punch when you lose a family member, right? And you recognize, you knew their time on this earth as ours was temporary. God dog it. Didn't even, ugh, didn't register in my brain that this was a temporary physical existence, right? Your health one day, you're young and spry, like Stefan's nephew's back there, and strong, hello? Yeah. And then the next day, you, you got bad knees and bad backs, and you, and you grunt every time you get up. See, you don't know that life, okay? You don't, you don't know that life, Kendrick. You don't know. You don't know about that life. And, and don't be looking at us like we lazy. We just, we, our bodies is old. They done got old and we move slower. And it's going to happen to you, Lord willing. It's going to happen to you. And you're going to realize, oh, my. Oh, my. It has happened. So we, sometimes we have to give up some things in order to, to make sure that we gain something we can't afford to lose. Right? And this is, this is an act of wisdom. Because a foolish man will say, I need to keep everything I can since I'm going to lose it. Right? Since I only got a couple of days with this, let me just get everything I can out of it. Don't act like you never thought like that. Yeah. Go back to every sinful season you had in your life. And I'm not talking about the one sin, okay? And I'm not talking about before you got saved. I'm talking about when you got saved and that sinful season. Hello? 
you haven't had one, that is, that is a blessing. You, you just be holy now. I believe in you. Be holy. All right? But for the rest of us, that was ratchet and wretched. We did more in those sinful seasons because we felt like we already in it now. Don't, no, I know I ain't the only one. I'm already in it now. If I was gonna, I'm repent for one thing. Might as well repent for it all, I suppose. The dumbest thing known to mankind, right? Because what we're trying to keep, we already know as believers, we're going to have to let go of anyway. Hello? That illicit relationship. Hello, them drugs, that alcohol, that anger, that bitterness, that lying. You know you're going to have to let that go anyway. Ain't no way you're going to be able to keep it, but you will fight to keep it. Knowing it's temporary. And forget that you're not gaining something that you cannot afford to lose. You done forfeited holiness. You done forfeited a strong relationship with God. You can't afford not to have them two things, holiness without no man shall see the Lord. You can't keep temporary sin, dear believer, and miss out on holiness, which you need to see God. Now, I know what you're thinking. Once I stop, I'll go back to being holy. Is that true? Just because you stop sinning, you're going to go back to being holy? Absolutely not. Because as a believer, it was a condition of the heart, not an act of the flesh. So even though you stop smoking, stop drinking, stop sexing, the part of your heart, if that has not been dealt with, you still ain't living holy. We clean the inside of the cup, ladies and gentlemen, that the outside then might be cleaned also. But you don't start with the outside and expect that the inside should somehow get clean. That's not how that works. Hello? I know plenty of people that stop doing certain sins. Hearts just as unruly. Mindsets just as rebellious. Hello? Just as discouraged. Hello? Just as oppressed and depressed. And all they doing is, well, I ain't done that in three weeks. I ain't done that. They just counting the weeks like they in prison. I ain't done that in 17 weeks. Like, see me when you get done counting. Holler at me when you, when you stop counting, okay? That, that's when we almost at the same understanding here. When you, when you recognize this is just who I am versus this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. Do you understand? That's a whole other ball game. I want us to look at re- uh, reformation through wisdom, all right? Because wisdom is, is, a, is, is a tricky thing, all right? Wisdom is not just experiences. And wisdom in of itself does not make your life better. Only if you apply it. You can be wise as all get out and never do it. Hello? Your life still remains in the same situation. Wisdom isn't just experience. Wisdom isn't just knowledge or understanding of things. Wisdom says, I take into account all of this information, and with that, I know exactly what to do. People that are wise are known to be good at a lot of different stuff. Truly. Sister Cece says, Pastor, you're good at everything. No, I am not. Yes, you are. No, I am not. I promise you, I only do the stuff that it looks like I'm good at because that's the only stuff that I do. (laughs) Right? 
But I understand what she's saying because when you have wisdom, you understand how things work no matter what that thing is. No matter what it is. I mean, think about God who created everything with just a word. And if wisdom is a derivation of a thought and a concept, then it must be true that simple wisdom can unlock things and everything about how you live. I didn't go to med school, but talked to Sister Glenda, and I probably could out-nurse her if given the opportunity. I didn't go to law school, but talked to Sister, uh, Sister Jewel's uh, law school friends. I could probably, hello, somebody. It, it's, it's, it's a lot of things. I never fixed the car, but I'm pretty sure if you give me the right tools, I can, I can, I can tell you what's, what's going on. You know, just give me some time. That's all I need, right? Wisdom says you have the ability to understand the economy of God. And when I say economy, that's not it, just finances. Economy is a system of how things work in general, all right? Wisdom says you understand how things work. You understand how hearts work, minds work, relationships work, marriages work, fatherhood, motherhood. This is why you have the ability to talk on so many levels and it be true because you understand how things work. Yeah? Now, being wise is only accurate if it shows up in your life. If we don't see the fruits of wisdom, then you're not wise. Do you understand? Because apparently there's something about your own wisdom you don't believe because you would have did it. <laughs> you, ain't, you ain't doing it. I know I'm supposed to go to church, really? When you ain't, you ain't, you ain't, you ain't going, right? <laughs> you're not going. Well, you got to be church, go to church. God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. And he says specifically, do not forsake getting together with other believers. Yeah. He says, and, and do it anytime you can. We is here Sunday and Wednesday and Monday in prayer. Hello, somebody. Yeah. If, if you were so wise to know that you should go to church and you, then you should be anytime we gather, where should you be? Where we gather. Yeah. Unless you had to work. If the facto, you better be bringing them good tithes and offerings. But let me find out you working and you skimping. <laughs> wisdom is the principal thing. No. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Song of Solomon is a book of wisdom. Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom. These are all books that try to tell people how to figure out life and what they've learned throughout the years. My favorite, of course, is the Song of Solomon, everything that he writes, because he had the kind of wealth that he could try everything. Like he would have went to try the submarine, but then would have realized, because he was so wise, that this is a terrible idea. He would have said, give me my money back, I ain't going. His wisdom would have spoke to him. And said, this is the first year that you guys have tried this composite submarine. I'm going to wait till you, till somebody else tried. You tried. As we pray for their families and loved ones, the, the issue here is that we could be so used to doing things a certain way that when wisdom speaks, we still can't hear it. If you're so used to taking those kind of risks, when wisdom speaks, you can't hear it. If you're so used to being hot-tempered, when wisdom speaks, you can't hear it. If you're so used to being angry or bitter or unforgiving, when wisdom speaks, you still can't hear it. Right? Wisdom would have said, so you can only take one trip a year? Mm-hmm. 
and this is the first time you made this submarine, mm -hmm. and, and nobody tried it since y'all made it. We ran some tests, but did you take the test to go down <laughs> and come back up? Did you, did, you, did you do that part? We ain't, we ain't done that because that means we couldn't do it again until next year. Welp. <laughs> right? Wisdom say that, that's, that's, that's too valuable for me to put on the line. Don't we think that? Look, since we ain't the millionaires that did it, we think that's too much. But what we don't recognize is that we have the same mental capability of putting stuff on the line that we know we shouldn't put on the line. Risk your entire relationship with God. Risk going to hell. Let me tell you what's, what's worse than going to the bottom of the ocean is going to hell. And every one of us done risked it at some point. Like, I was an idiot. I can't even believe I risked going to hell with this. There was no certainty that I would ever make it back to the household of faith. There was no guarantee that when I went to those depths, I would ever resurface back into holiness. And I put it all on the line. And you know that you was a faulty ship. If you don't know nothing else, you know you a faulty ship. And I'm going to put my faulty ship and myself in the hands of my faulty ship. And we're going to go down in this sin. And, and we're we going to get back up. And then you say, but the Bible say he, he'll always forgive us. Okay, now, now let's look at this faulty ship. <laughs> the same heart that wants to sin is the same heart that wants to trust its own study. Wait, 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 wait. You want to sin. And then the same heart and mind that wants to sin wants to now trust their own biblical study. When we've seen, dear theologians, in countless scriptures in the New Testament, how the condition of the heart will greatly sway how you interpret every single scripture. That even if Jesus himself stepped foot on this earth because of the condition of your heart, you will take every scripture and still miss it. I'm trying, I'm trying to understand where's the wisdom in this. It's all folly to me. Now all of a sudden you want to be a theologian. Well, the Bible says he'll forgive me. I'm going to say a prayer of forgiveness and repent. And then, and then he's going to forgive. he never leave you, no, for say, oh. I'm so glad you can find scriptures that, that have the words in them that you need. But it has been proven throughout the same text that you read. That the condition of your heart will greatly sway how you apply those scriptures to your present life. I wouldn't trust it, dear one. I put no trust in, in my own abilities. When I was in my battle last night, I didn't go, you know what, I'm going to get out of this. I said, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Jesus, Jesus, this is above my pay grade. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I'm not over here trying to quote scriptures. I know them, they're in my heart. They all conclude to you, <laughs> you, Jesus. That is the end. That is the end. Wisdom is, is an important aspect of a Christian's life. Proverbs 2 Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, but the entire section of Proverbs uh, gives you nothing but wisdom. But Proverbs 2, 6 and 7 says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. 
I like that verse. It says he stores up wisdom. Like wise things he gathers. And be like, I'm going to hold this just for my baby. When, when she when she be wanting to know, I'm going to just, boop, here you go. I was saving this just for you. This came to my mind. I thought about how you might need that. And boop, there's your answer. Boop, here's your understanding. Boop, there's your knowledge. Then he stores that up. And then it comes from his mouth to you. Right? You know, in scripture, Song of Solomon, King Solomon said, if you're going to ask the Lord of anything, you better ask him for wisdom. Wisdom will get you everything else you need, yes. right? Yes. And true wisdom would even lead you to the path of salvation. Amen. 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 Proverbs chapter 9 gives us several verses. It talks about the way of wisdom. It personifies wisdom as a woman that has built her house very strong with pillars. Verses 8 says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Ain't that a truth? But y'all, y'all, maybe y'all didn't have to reprove somebody. I've had to reprove people that automatically think what I'm telling you is a joke. It's not true. It's bias. And they truly do end up hating me. Like truly. You would think, who, pastor could ever? They do, you do, we do. Because the condition of our heart in terms of scoffing and saying, ugh, whatever, that's a scoff. Ugh, whatever. It's always something, ugh, right? That thing. And from that person that is always telling you that thing, then when we come and correct you, see, (laughs) right? But a wise man will get reproved and be like, you know what? That's what I needed right there. That's what I needed right there. A wise man said, you ain't coming to get me. You coming to help me. Help me with me. Hello, a wise man says, Pastor, not, she's not trying to reprove me for no apparent reason. Wisdom says she's just as, fa- as flawed as I am. Wisdom should tell you that your pastor is just as flawed as you. So the idea that I have to reprove another adult is unnerving. It's, un- it's unsettling. But thus, if you're going to do better in this, somebody's got to tell you. Somebody got to tell you, right? Right. Skip on down to verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. First step, if you want to gain wisdom, you have to have what? Fear of the Lord. Now, in all your seasons of sin, you can tell off the top that you say you feared the Lord. You did not. You did not fear him enough. Not enough. You didn't feel his, you did not fear him or his appointed ones. Not enough. Not enough. Right? Something should have went off in your brain. All right, you know what? I don't understand what's happening. But I'm not gonna test God on any further on this. And apparently, if Pastor represents sometimes what he might be saying, he's pretty hot about this. That's a good display if you go, oh. I remember the first time Pastor Conai ever yelled at me. Oh, yeah. oh, he yells and gets red. Bright red. Bright red. Bright red. He yelled at me over the phone the first time. I said, Pastor Conan, I was just wondering. I was praying and just hoping that one day, you know, I noticed that you wanted to end the evening services. And um, I just wanted to say, you know, I'll be more than happy 
to if you if you wanted to reinstitute those evening services to to take over some of those services for you because we had had a church split. One of our leading pastors had just left. He yelled at me so much. I don't need to. You're not gonna tell me what to do in my ch church. <laughs> you ain't gonna tell me. Da, 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 da. And I was like, oh ooh my. <laughs> it went from Joel Osteen to okay Rev. <laughs> And I couldn't believe it. You think I yelled back? No. You think I started rolling my neck? No. When I hung up that phone, my first instinct was, Lord, what am I missing? What am I missing? Because if the man of God has responded to me in something that I thought was good in such a way, I am missing something. Versus something wrong with him. Right? Yeah. I'm missing something. And if I had to be completely honest, if I had evening services and morning services and it went all down that path, I would not be here. If everything was so smooth and, it all, and I blended so well, I would not be here. I didn't know that at the time. I just recognized that the man of God just suffered a church split. One of his leading pastors has left, and now the second one is getting ready to leave as well. This is not the time to offer anything. This is the time to be in prayer. And it could look as if I'm trying to take advantage of the situation versus my actual heart that just wants to support. And then wisdom would say, bump your heart. Because no matter how sincere you are, it's the bad, it's bad timing. Wisdom will say it's bad timing. Not to con condemn your heart. Because my heart was in the right place. Shut up, you fool. Yes, your heart was in the right place, but you picked the wrong time. And it was not wise. When the authority yells at me, I try to figure out what the heck did I do wrong and how did I, I missed it. Because there's no reason in my mind for any of my pastors to ever have to raise their voice at me. And if you the authority of God raise your voice at me that I, I, ha I have I have grossly misstepped and when the Lord revealed it then you can see can't you that I was a misstep yeah. how clear and obvious it is when you don't start with you but start with God yeah. Yeah. but if you keep rehearsing only your narrative then it will always seem like something is happening to you Come on, That's good. I'm trying to help you with some wisdom here you keep looking at it from your perspective over and over and over again that somehow your perspective and your actions are still right, just, and noble, and you never deem to look at it from God's perspective or anybody else's, then you're always going to end up with the same result. But when you start with God in humility, he can give you wisdom and show you that was just bad timing, baby. Real bad timing. Real bad timing. Later on, I end up getting a whole bunch more service with Pastor Conan, but I could understand that that was, a mis that was a misstep. And my eagerness to be of support turned out to be very opportunistic in its view. Now it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? How many things have you missed? Because the narrative of that situation start and ended with you. The whole story. 
what you thought, what you feel, 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 over and over. And I just felt like, and I wasn't even caught for just kind of, and you know you're doing it. You know you're just rehearsing in your brain your same story over and over and over. And then he said, but then I said, and I couldn't even understand because you tell somebody the same story over and over and over again. At some point, you need to stop saying your story and try to figure out somebody else's story. That's what I do with y'all. <laughs> That's what I do with y'all every time. When you offend me, the reason I don't go slap off immediately is because I try to think about your story. From their perspective, they could be thinking this. Given, given their testimony, they probably feel like this. And it looks like wisdom because I'll come back and I'll say something. Oh, Pastor, that's, I, that's what I needed you to say. Because I had to check, take a, check, a, a stop on how I feel and look at your story. Hello? Look at how, how you, if I'm, if I'm the pastor, y'all don't want to, I'm, you, if, you, if, you, if you're the pastor, hello somebody, that above everybody else that has the ability to forego offense in order to have empathy, it should be the leader. But if the leader is equally as offended as everybody else, you do not need to lead. And you will not in this house. If you have this compulsive nature to always express how you feel immediately, you say stuff like it's always written on my face, we got a problem. You don't know how to put on that good smile? Because you need it in this house. Because sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes you're wrong. And you done jumped off like you was right. Now the situation that got even worse. I've been saved many a times from this. And they come back, oh, I was so, I got that so wrong. I'm so glad I didn't say nothing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Wisdom wins again. I'm keeping my mouth shut. You say, Pastor, you don't ever just respond. Oh, I do. I do. I just wait. I wait a long, periodically time before I respond. Y'all looking hit already. Like, I do be jumping off at the mouth too fast. You do. You do. I wait a long, I, 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 people bring something to me. Uh, mm, 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 mm. It, it, that's when you know I'm about to take mm. that's my mm. put a pin in that we're gonna circle back around on that one mm. Mm. and I might let you finish spilling and I go you know when you just said earlier right, now you done got it all out your system now let's go back to this point that you made right over here it look like it's a little gnat in this milk over here. I don't know if you recognize this little thing swimming around in here. It's, it's kind of gross. You might want to take care of that. <laughs> Proverbs gives us tons of actions of wisdom. Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. I mean, just countless. Listen to wisdom. Be wise. Heed it. Don't be around fools. Don't be with dumb people. Be wise. Seek God. Just over and over and over again. It's as if in the, in, in the Old Testament, wisdom became the hand of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom was the thing that empowered the believers to go down certain paths, to understand certain things, to keep them. It was as if the wisdom of God in the Old Testament was a direct correlation of the Holy Spirit of God that we see in action in the New Testament. So what does the New Testament say about wisdom? Let's look at a couple of verses and we're going to look at a couple quick ones and then we're going to look at some in, in great detail. James chapter 3 is one of my favorites. Before there, go to Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. 
when you're there, say amen. 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 I'll take one. And so from the day we... <laughs> And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul is saying to the Colossian church, ever since I heard of how great you guys are doing, all we can do is pray. Pray that you'll have the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom. All right. It's imperative to walk as believers that you have spiritual wisdom. Now let's try to figure out what spiritual wisdom is. Can we do that? All right, now let's go to that James scripture. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. When you're there, say amen. All right, good job. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Let's stop right there. <laughs> What this verse repeats twice in any of my ministers in training that have um, gone through some basic theological lessons can attest that when a scripture says the same thing more than once, that that is the weight that that scripture is putting on that particular statement. We see in these couple of verses that the phrase selfish ambition and jealousy keeps coming up. All right. Now, jealousy, people go, I ain't jealous, no money. Okay, let's just throw that away because you don't ever believe that you're jealous. All right. Just throw it away. All right. But that's selfish ambition. Me, myself, and I. Ask for me and my house. And I ain't talking about serving the Lord. Just I got to look out for us. Who going to look out for me? It's up to me to look out for me and mine. I got to watch out for me. I got to have my own back. I got to make sure I'm squared away. I got to make sure I hit my goals. I got to make sure I reach my dreams and destinies. I got to make sure I accomplish these things. We don't call that selfish ambition. We just call it ambition. You're just ambitious for yourself. That make you feel better, don't it? I'm just ambitious towards, towards myself. For, for me. I mean, as opposed to being ambitious for others, as opposed to putting that same type of energy, that same type of direction, that same type of fortitude and stamina toward blessing others. You know, in this line of work, I'm always, when church membership is low, I'm always scared. I need to 
find a new method to gain more members. A lot of pastors go through this and they start buying church growing uh, packets and seminars like they other churches copy what they, they market what they do to build that church and they sell it to other pastors of smaller churches. Have you not noticed that some churches look like the same church over and over and over and over? It was just white churches. Now it's black churches, too. We all buy in the same program, so we can have the same media, the same lights, the same smoke, the same everything, the same sermon topics, and we just keep. Because it works, because now the people is growing. See, in this house, it's never about the numbers. Huh? It's about your spiritual growth as individuals. The wisdom of this house says that if you grow spiritually, then your life will bring others yeah. just automatically to the extent that you don't grow is the extent that we don't have new members. So rather than trying to buy a church growth plan full of selfish ambition, I decide to then feed my sheep. All the more, when church numbers are down, we have all kinds of workshops. Workshops, seminar, every couple of weeks. Another workshop, another seminar, another discipleship class. We, more, more, more. We, I'm just, y'all go get leadership, leadership, leadership. And I just start pumping in as much information to my existing members as I can. Yeah. Every time. Because it's about you, not about the numbers. But selfish ambition says, I need to figure out a way to grow my business. To all my entrepreneurs. I need to figure out a way to make sure I have this set off in my life. I need to make sure that I, and what I can't seem to get people to understand that are so ambitious is that the way the economy of God works, when you invest in people, you will always have what you need. Satan knew it. Pharaoh knew it. They all knew it. That if you really want some wealth, you better have people. I get more done from this tiny church than big church. I have big church pastors and leaders saying, I wish our church could have the same percentage of participation. Yeah. The same numbers in Bible study. We have 80% of our churches in Bible study every Wednesday. 80% of our church. If that ain't you, that's your fault. 80% when most churches are struggling with 20% tops. Yeah. When we host events in this house and our church members have to be there, 90, 95, 99% participation. Yeah. Yeah. From day one, some of our board of directors that are on other church boards said, we wish we had that. Yeah. This church was built off the back of people that had barely any money. None. None. No money. But all that they had, they gave, and all that they still get, they still give. Now it's embedded in them. I'm going to keep giving to my house. I'm like, yes, baby. Because somebody decided to invest in people. This then takes the focus off of you, right? Where it's just selfish ambition. And you start worrying about other people. When you worry about other people, you can't really calculate how you're going to get what you need. Currently, I sit without a salary. I don't know how my bills get paid. Sometimes they don't in this particular season, but ultimately they will at some point. I know this, God knows this, it's just a matter of waiting. Yeah. Amen. But I recognize that it's not about what you get back. It's how you give and I get more people that are more loyal to this house because I sow into their lives versus trying to sow into mine. That's, that's the entire system of God. No, that's the entire system. Yeah. 
Everything. Everything. Big CEOs know this. They write books on it, like give them the pickle and all this kind of stuff that says focus on your employees, focus on giving them stocks, focus on giving them this, constant, constant, constant. And the house of God is like, no, no, everybody worry about yourself. Everybody worry about yourself. Make sure you have something for you because, you know, the church will take everything you got. Oh, oh, a little salty, huh? He says, this selfish ambition, where that exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Go back to your seasons of sin, dear Christian. These vile, hello, hello, practices. Hello? Can you see your own selfish ambition? Can you see how your pain, how you, what you needed, how what you felt like you deserved was more important than anything else? What I've been through, what I need now in my life, because I've always or never had or didn't always have that. And so now you're seeking yourself to provide for you. And the Bible has run true. And you can see it in your own life. Every vile practice came up in your life. From withholding tithes and offerings to talking about your brothers to talking about the church to talking about the pastor to, to lust and porn. Hello, to lying and cheating. Hello, somebody lying on your job, lying on this person over here. Like, what? Well, I mean, Lord, understand my heart. But, you know. What happened to the person that used to be so concerned about integrity? So concerned that there's no way I I can't tell my my boss a lie. Now you will lie not just to your boss, but to your own pastor. Let me tell you how dumb that is. Your boss may not even be spiritual, but you're going to decide to lie to the spiritual leader in your. And you think I'm not going to find out. A beeper already went off. Beep, beep. Mm-mm, something ain't right. I don't know where it is. There's something in this sentence. It's like the praise of the word. Ooh, that was a bad note. Something you just said. Ooh, ooh, mm-mm, mm-mm. Pastor, I ain't lying. Mm. Mm, something. And I won't say nothing. I'm just going to wait. 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 Sometimes I write it in my journals so when it come back. I'm like, booyah. <laughs> It's not to catch you. It's not to catch you. Sometimes I pray I'll never find out, and you can just take that on to the grave. The, the problem is that when you start lying and getting away with it, you'll keep lying. Lying does that. When you realize you get away with one, you'll tell another one about something completely different, and then you'll keep going and keep going and keep going. I had somebody ask me, Pastor, what do I need to do be, be, to be free from this spirit of lying? I said, every time you lie, go tell the truth and apologize. Every time. If you want to be free of lying, every time you lie, go tell the truth and apologize. That's so embarrassing. Exactly. Exactly. Then you feel stupid for lying about stupid stuff. And some of y'all be lying about dumb stuff. Yeah, I read it. Did you? Did you? Why did I say that lie? Why even that? What even necessary? And the more you get away with, the more you do it. 
Think lawlessness produces more losses, and now your whole life is spinning out of control. Because anybody that can't be trusted cannot form true relationships. And if you can't form true relationships, you cannot be successful at anything in life. Because everything in life requires relating with other people. And some of your associates, they just say, oh, they lie. They just write you off as a liar. Oh, you know, you can't believe nothing they say. They lie. So every once in a while, it's good that you end up telling a lie to me so that I can find it. And I can help you to stop. Because everybody else is going to write you off as a liar. That's what happens. I try to be gentle, but like, hey, 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 you know, um, something, you know, could it be that? This is what I'm trying to let you have your dignity. <laughs> could, it, could it be also that, you know, sometimes we all, you know, we, we, we rush through re- reading it and then we, we intend to read it and then I try to feed you your line. People are like, oh, she did that to me. Yeah. Let's move on. I can't, I can't with y'all. Okay. All right. But the wisdom from above, so we see what the wisdom from below does. All right. There'll be disorder in every vile practice. Disorder means things are out of order. And that's never good in a church. It's not good in your life either. Buying the purse before you pay the electric bill. That's disorder. That's disorder. That's disorder. That's disorder. That's disorder. That's disorder. Getting them bundles before you take care of that gas bill. That's disorder. Getting them nails done while you know you need breaks. Ooh, disorder. Disorder. You were supposed to get that old change three months ago. Selfish ambition. Selfish ambition destroys wisdom and integrity. Selfish ambition, wherever that is, there's disorder in your life. There's disorder in your life. I have a rule in my car since my gas is so expensive that I don't let it drop below half a tank. My dad taught me that that's how you waste gas. Also, I try not to drive more than 16 miles over the speed limit because, again, that is how you waste gas. (laughs) Right, right, right. So then I decide keep keep the tank full and drive at a reasonable speed limit to conserve gas, which, in essence, conserves money in my pocket. Hello? Hello? That's, that's, but selfish ambition will say, I'm tired. I'll get it in the morning. And then in the morning, you're running late, so now you don't have time. And now the standard you set for yourself has slowly crept down. And it was just a standard you set for yourself. You still got gas, but you didn't keep your own standard. And now your life is in disorder because you know you're supposed to have a more orderly life than this. Hello? Selfish ambition make you stay in the bed longer. Because you're looking for something that you need right then. Versus what is more beneficial overall for an organized life. Now you're running late cussing the kids out. You knew. You knew. (laughs) You knew off the top. If you would have got the gas the night before, you wouldn't have to be cussing the kids out because they can't tie their shoe and holding you behind. Yeah. 
parents and guardians. All the above. Now there's disorder. There's disorder in your life. The kids going to school upset. About to tell the counselor you abused them. Because <laughs> my mama, she said I was ugly. I didn't say you was ugly. I said, get rid of that ugly attitude now. Now defects calling you. Disorder. You got this nice car you bought in 2018. It's a dog on 2000 and I don't know, 16. Looking like it's a 1984. It's a doggone disorder. It's a disorder. Something not right. Something not right. You ask the Lord to give you that car. You ask him, Lord, if you just give me this car just one more time, Lord, if you just help me with the repossession and just take it off my, my report, Lord, and just let me get a good. You asked him. And then look what you're doing to it. Look. I got to get past this point. This is, I'm just trying to show you wisdom versus, versus folly here. You get in my car, my car, no matter what kind of car I had, it was always pristine. Especially if I got to pay for it. Every time I get in this car, I need the same joy as the first time I walked in it. Hello, it needs to be clean, like, because I'm still paying the note. The note ain't go down. So I need the same excitement, like it's a brand new car. Nah, there's crumbs in my seat. No, nah, get them crumbs off the floor. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> it had no crumbs when I bought it. Mm -mm, mm -mm. It was, it was clinked, okay? Now I get in my car, I'm like, ooh, this is expensive, but this is nice. This is expensive, but this nice. Versus this expensive old stupid car. I can't wait to get out of this car and pay all this money. What? Really? You loved it at some point. You loved it. You did. It was a blessing. Okay, let's move. Let me move on. Let me let me move on. Let me move on. Let me let me move on. All right, let's keep going. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. Gentle, now this is my favorite, open to reason. You know you're being foolish if somebody say you're being unreasonable. It's open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits. Impartial, impartial, Imp that's not bias. And sincere. That's the wisdom that come from above. That's what it look. That's what it. That, that what it look like. If if what you know, that you think is true, does not look like those last things. That is earthly wisdom, unspiritual and demonic. If the truth that you found, and you you found it to be true, right? Some wisdom, some point. All right, and it does not have those characteristics. It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now, demonic, you'd be like, that's a stretch, Pastor, okay? I can understand it's, it's worldly, okay? But demonic, you know why? Because Satan would love to put a little bit of poison in that rat food. He's got to make it enticing to you so that you think everything you're getting is from that bit of wisdom. So you went over to the world and got a worldly practice, and it worked. 
it worked. And now you think that this is how you need to keep living. But when the Bible says live this other way, I, I, I started doing this and implementing it into my life. I started, you know, cutting people off and doing this kind of stuff. And I started looking out for me and me first. And oh, so wise. But it don't do it, don't generate these things. And Satan will love for you to continue his, his plans. Because Satan's prophets had what? They had serpents too. Pharaoh made serpents just like Moses. We're going to look at that in just a second. Not that particular scripture, but why wisdom is so important. Look at this last sentence in this verse. I got to hurry up. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. All right. On the second half of the, the wisdom from above, we see the word peace repeated over and over. It's peaceable. It's sown in righteousness, sown in peace. And then by those who make peace, it's just a lot of peace. What I love about this, that last sentence, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is one of those occasions where rather than arguing because your feelings was hurt, rather than arguing because you was probably right, right that you just decide to make peace. Now watch this. Has anybody ever done that? Can you see how much righteousness came from that? When you decide to make peace, wasn't it easier for you to do more right things after that? It was more easy for you to think rightly, to respond rightly, to hop in your car rightly. Now you're not cussing off random strangers out. Just, all, just now all of a sudden you have more seeds of righteousness because you decided to do something and make peace. Now on the flip side, when you decide to not make peace but to do whatever it is, it is what it is to match them at whatever level of unreasonability they might have in anger, does it yield more righteousness in your life? No, it does not. You go home more angry, more upset. Now you got to tell 15 more people in the church because that one person was not enough. Now everybody looking at that person side-eyed because you said that they did you wrong, and now you're mad and you go to the work and you're mad at your job because your boss did the same thing that that friend did. You can't stand the coworker that did it at the water cooler, and now you're in your car back home headed to go get the kids, and the kids going to tell you that their teacher told them that. I can't stand that teacher in the first place. And it just seems <laughs> like, like everywhere you go, there's a problem. I like to talk, talk, talk to people and I tell them, you like drama. They say, I don't like drama. Ooh, you do. You do like drama. You do like drama. Because it seems like everywhere you go, there's a problem. There's a problem in your house. There's a problem at your job. There's a problem at the church. There's a problem with your friend, that friend, and this friend. And it seems like when one friend gives you a problem, you go to the other friend, and that friend gives you a problem, you go back to that friend. It seems like you just got problems everywhere you go, and we know that the common denominator is who? You. You have a high level of threshold for drama. But when you start sowing, acting in peace, you start killing that taste that you have for drama. And peop people that don't, that, they be cut off from drama, they don't know what to do with themselves. They be like... Who am I? Who, who am I? Where am I going? What am I supposed to be doing in my life? Nothing. You're just supposed to sit and rest. Just, just go to work. Go to work. Drama free. Go to work. Be nice. Be nice to your boss. But she get on my nerves. Doesn't matter. Be nice. Be peaceable. All right? Then later, who is nicer at my job? She, oh, imagine that. No more drama? Hmm. 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 What am I going to do with my life and my calling? Nothing. It ain't time yet. What? What? Just relax. 
See, people that are used to drama, they don't know how to just live. Yes. Yes. Just live. Good. Just be content. They got to have some type of ambition, some type of drive, the next thing, the best thing, the older thing, all that. And if I don't have that, then what? Do, what I, let me go back and evaluate my past. Let me, t- let me look at this and this and this and this and this and that one right and this one right and that. Oh, my God. All because you just don't know how to sow in peace. I always feel better when somebody's trying to take me to the top and I just try to make peace. And I know they was wrong as all get out. But it's going to make my day better if I just make peace. Check it for yourself. Your day just go better. Hello? It goes better when you make peace. Who would have thought that you being humble and apologizing and make peace, even though you didn't think you did anything wrong, actually benefited you more than you trying to vent and explain how they were so wrong? If I, as they pastor, have a hard time trying to show them what they did wrong, who is you? You think you're going to be able to argue them to show them they, I'm going to argue your wrongness to you today. I'm going to argue, I'm going to show you how wrong you are through argument. Through argument. How is that possible? Let me save you years of heartache. Arguing will never change anybody. So if your method to teach them how to deal with you is to argue, they're not still going to know how to live with you. And now you got a whole bunch of drama and stress because every time you got to teach people how to, I got to fight for what's mine, got to fight for myself, just fight, 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 fight. Right? But you can have a lot of peace. You'd be like, you know what? I'm sorry. What you sorry for? You, you, you want to be sarcastic? See, when you start being peace, but now they think they don't even trust you. Oh, you being sarcastic. What, you was going to you gonna say sorry? You going to come get me later? What, what, is, what is this? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You could have so much more right just actions in your life just by trying to make peace. Right? Amen? All right. Next set of verses. I want us to look at James chapter 3 and 4. All right. Time is all right. James chapter 3 verse 4. Chapter 3 and 4. When you're there, say amen. Amen. I want you to look at chapters 3 and 4 because I'm going to hit a couple of verses. But I want you to look at how these two chapters stack. Chapter 3 opens up with training the tongue. All right. It opens up talking about how the tongue is so small, but it causes so many problems. The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How a great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, <gasps> and set on fire by hell. For every, kind, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being, you want to underline that, can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, the next section, if you look at your headers in your Bible, is about wisdom. But I just want you to notice how it starts off with 
tongues and mouth and what you say and how you say things. And then it goes into wisdom. Let's look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, gentle open to reason. Is that where we came from? Yeah. And a harvest of righteousness. Now go down to chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Selfish ambition works against the wisdom of God. They, they, don't, they don't inhabit the same place. It's like selfish ambition runs on one track and wisdom runs on a completely different track, and they will never cross paths. Do you understand? Anytime you need wisdom that comes from the throne of God, it cannot include your selfish ambition. It just can't. It has to be for somebody else and for something else, maybe God or Christ or someone else, but it cannot include your selfish ambition. This is paramount. What I love is he says, the quarrels that you have amongst each other come because you have a quarrel in you where there are certain passions you want that you don't have. Certain things you desire that the Lord hasn't blessed you with. Some answers you question that he has not given you an answer for. Certain things you wish were done and aren't, and aren't done. He says, and that right there is why you quarrel with one another. Now, we got here from talking about mouth. And he says that the tongue can't be tamed, not by humans. And he goes in to start talking about wisdom. So wisdom is the method that helps to change the tongue, the nature of the tongue, versus tame it. It has to change the nature of the tongue. Wisdom changes your mindset. Your mindset changes where your actions, and that includes what you say. Wisdom changes your mindset, right? Your mindset changes your actions. Now, wisdom doesn't just stay in the mind, as I'm going to show you in just a second. Not the wisdom of God. It goes deeper than the mind. Verse 8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Wait, 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 back up, back up. This is chapter 4. He says, you ask. You don't have because you don't ask, all right? We love that verse, don't we? You have not because you ask not. Don't we love that verse? But we don't say the other parts of that. You ask and do not have because you, wrong, you ask wrongly to spend it on yourself. Like, we, why we ain't why we add that other part to this? You have not because you ask not. Why we ain't add that? Because at some point, everybody asked the Lord for something. Everyone asked the Lord for something, all right? He says, I already know what you need before you even ask me, right? It's not even necessary for you to ask me for what you need. The problem is that you're only asking me for things for you. So I'm not giving you that because I already know what you need. You don't have what you're asking for because you're asking to spend out on yourself. Just you. You say it's others. No, it's you. For you. All you. So you can feel better, so you can get past your past, so you can now outlive their lies about you. Just you, 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 you. He said, you can ask all you want. You ask and you don't get because we both know this is just about you. He flat out says it. 
And some of us, we don't even know. This is a funny thing. What we supposed to focus on if we ain't focusing on us? <laughs> look, look at you. Look at some, some of y'all is foreign. It's like so when um when I ask us, I, I ask, what? What do I ask? What do I think about? What do I focus on? What you don't even know what your day would look like if you was not thinking about you 24 hours a day. Where I'm going to go? Where I'm going to eat? What, how much money I'm going to get? How much overtime I'm going to get? How this is going to work? How this is going to work over there? Where am I going to go after this? You don't even, you don't have no other thoughts. And when somebody says, just don't, don't worry about you. Worry about something else. Uh, maybe you should have something else. Maybe you should have something else. Maybe a ministry, a department, a responsibility, a function. Some of y'all department leads, and you ain't got your department to grow. You got something to multiply and function in. Think about. You don't even think about that because you're too busy, too much your mind thinking about you. Your sin. Your weed smoking. Your alcohol. Your, 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 just you, 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 you. Maybe think about something else is what I'm trying to say. Maybe, maybe more money will come in your hands when you think about something else for the kingdom. Maybe more things will work out in your family when you think about something else. He, what he's trying to say is man is miserable when we are too introspective. Yeah, yeah. It's too much. Yeah. God's focused on you and your needs and you focused on you and your needs. That's too much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's just let the best one do it. Amen. Let him do it. You focus on something else. Focus on calling another member. Focus on encouraging somebody. Focus on sending a, a, a homeless man $10. Fo focus on something else besides you. Yeah. What I'm trying to say. Amen. Your next steps, your next goal, your next calling in God, your next pastor, I'm going to be in ministry class. All right. <laughs> she didn't give me the response I was looking for because I'm not that excited. <laughs> you got so far to go. And I don't mean theologically. Everything about your life is about you. Themed with God. <laughs> it's themed with God. That's, that's the truth. Because when you have to live a life that's all about him and all about others, let me tell you something. Number one, you forget to eat. <laughs> you forget what time it is. You forget that you need to take a breast. You forget that you ain't got enough money for that. You, <laughs> you, step, you forget basic necessities that you used to spend nothing but time praying about. Asking God for. Then you forget. Why? Because there's so much else on your mind. Look at what kind of church we would have if just five more people had that. Just five. Just five more people say, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to stop worrying about me. I'm not going to do it. I'm just focus on kingdom. I'm just, mm, just kingdom, God, just stuff. Just, ah, my life's about to get cut off. No, I'm not going to focus on it. <laughs> ah, that's, I need this. No, no, no. I'm not going to let it consume. This is not to say don't do things. It's that don't let it consume your thoughts. You're giving that thing way too much energy, too much time in your brain. I was talking to Jewel about uh, one of her clients. And... And I said, Jewel, she has, Jewel has a hard time making decisions. So I'm sorry. Is it okay? She can be very indecisive. And as an entrepreneur, you got, to, you got to decide, right? So she was trying to decide some rates for her summer programs and stuff like that. 
And every week I talk to her, she's like, I'm still, I gotta work on that summer schedule. I gotta work on that summer schedule. Every week I got working on that summer schedule. And it's, you would think that's like a whole bunch of stuff involved in it. No, it's just how much we're gonna charge <laughs> overall is a decision. And so I said, Jewel, how much do you make an hour? She told me, as, a, as just as a, as a coach, not her business, just coaching. It's an exorbitant amount of money an hour as a professional, as rightfully so. She earned that, okay? Okay, she earned that. She's a pro, yes. all right? <laughs> She's not a hobby, all right? Like the top 20 in the world, all right? In the world. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, all right, all right. So then she tells me that, Ray. I said, so how many hours do you think you spent on trying to decide this? We calculated, it was like, what, 26,000? Some insane number of money that it was just in the you know, double digits of thousands, 26, 46, some, some, some thousand dollars in making this one decision that she used of her time. And I said, it was how much, Gabby? 86,000, thank you so much. $86,000, thank you, Gabby, that she spent in trying to make this decision over the course of several weeks. I said, how much would you pay someone to make this decision for you? She said, about $20. I get it, because even as an entrepreneur, you're like, I could decide this real quick. It's not, it's not that hard. I could just do, I can just do it. I can just do it. And even if I hire somebody, I still think how I would have decided would have been better than them. So I'm not willing to pay that much. And I said, so that means when it's time, then you can only give $20 worth of time. You need to think about that with your emotions and how much mental space some things hold. Y'all don't want to help me today. How much mental space something holds. You worrying about your house and your car. The Lord says, I know what you have need of. Why are you spending so much time on deciding? That's a $20 decision. It's a $20 decision. and You have the propensity to do $86,000. It's insane. And the members of my house, y'all are smart. And hard working. I know because you, you draw like sheep. <laughs> right? Pastors draw sheep like themselves. That's just the way it works. Right? So I know you're smart. I know you're hard working. You are just you are misusing your resources. In folly. In folly. Wasting all that doggone emotion about something like that. That's $20 worth of emotion. $20, that's what you get. You made me mad, it's $20 worth of emotion. That's all, uh-uh, five, I can't even do it but 20. $5, that's all you get cutting me off. You didn't even use your signal. Five, five dollars. All right, I'm done with that, five dollars. <laughs> that's really good, That's good. He says, you ask, you do not have because you spend it on your passions. You I'm not giving it to you because you're going to use it for you. And you don't even know what, ain't I supposed to use for me? No, Christian. No, dear saint. The gifts are God are for you to use towards others. But I thought it was my gift. Yes, it is a gift that he would give you anything to be a part of his will with. Yeah. That is the gift. That's the gift. Now you, you, you render that gift. You give it to somebody else. That, that. Focusing off you and on others will prove to be an invaluable aspect of your life. I know it because you're so smart and hardworking. This church should be busting at the scenes with everything and anything we need because that's how y'all are. 
but you're so selfishly ambitious. And I keep seeing y'all come in, person after person, new member after, look at that gift, doggone it, look at that gift, look at that, oh my God, oh, look at that heart, oh, that's a good, and then they sit down and then they, they, they just sit there. They sit there and they want the emotional stuff healed, and they get the emotional stuff healed, and they sit there and they be like, maybe my emotional stuff ain't healed, let's go back over it again. <laughs> yes? Verse 4 says, now watch verse 4. He said, you spend it on your own passions. Verse 4 says, you adulterous people. Oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to flat out say that we cheaters? This is how strongly he feels. This is like my pastor yelling at me. He is yelling at you about something. It's an exclamation point in this. He practically called you a a whore with a W, right? Biblically, okay, with a W, all right? Pretty much. He said, you're going to take all the good love that I've been giving you. Got you looking all cleaned up. Got your insides looking all spiffy. And then you're going to start using it just to serve yourself? You're going to serve yourself in my house? You're going to serve yourself in the car I gave you? You're going to serve yourself in the apartment I set up for you? You're going to serve, you understand, you're going to serve yourself in the physical health I gave you? Oh, you want some, oh, you got to get some sleep, huh? Okay, so I'm tired, got to get some sleep so you can serve more of you, huh? That's nice. Whew, he goes on to call them adulterous people and friends. And just skip on down from there. You can read that in your own time. All right, but it, it, it doesn't go good. It doesn't go good after that. It does not go good. Verse 8 <laughs> says, draw near to God, and he will do what? Draw near, draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. He said, no, don't, don't feel good about this. You should feel like crap. That every prayer you've prayed for the most part has been for yourself and benefits you in some kind of way. The most of the efforts you put forth on the 12 to 18 hours you stay awake has been about you and very little about anybody else. That most of your mental capacity and emotional stamina is all about the dramas in your life and not necessarily the forward momentum of the kingdom. He said, do you feel cheesy? Good. Don't try to puff yourself up like it'll be all right. I'll just forget. He said, no, feel bad. Feel bad, come to the altar and repent. That's what he's saying. You should feel horrible, not eh, indifferent. Because when it comes to God, indifference later turns into being lost. You just don't stay indifferent. You start losing stuff. All right. Do not speak, verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Stop right there. This particular section ends with talking about the mouth again. Talking about the mouth. So let's look at the progression from chapter three to this last portion of chapter four. It goes from your tongue can't be tamed. 
you need wisdom that comes from God, then that wisdom that comes from God will then challenge your desires, check your passions, create repentance, and then from there change your tongue. Because it ends with tongue. Again. Just trying to watch your mouth is not nearly as important as cleaning your heart up. People say, I don't want to say that, Pastor. I'd be like, for what? It's already in your heart. You might as well say it so I can help you work through it. A conversation with me is a safe place in Jesus' name. So say what's on your heart so we might minister one to another. Because that's the only way we're going to get through this. But trying to hold it in your mouth so you won't say it out loud because life and death lie in the power of the tongue. Life and death lie in the power of the tongue because your heart is janky. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not the mouth per se, but it's what is coming through this mouth that needs to be challenged. He says, and wisdom can adjust that mindset. Wisdom says not only to the mind, but also says you need to draw near to God. I want to look at this last verse so we can go home. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, somewhere around verse 18. We're going to look at a couple of verses between chapter 1 and chapter 2. <clears throat> when you're there, say amen. amen. Good job. For the word of the cross is folly, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us, who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish wisdom of the world? For For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Skip over to verse 30. And because of him, you are in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, who became to us, what? Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Chapter two, verse one. And when I came to you, brothers, uh, did not, I did not, uh, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing except among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do not impart wisdom, underline that, although it is not wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart Underline in part again, a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which is decreed before the ages of uh, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, 
they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. I'm just keep going. We're almost done. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart, there it is again, this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept these things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Stop right there. It keeps going on about spiritual stuff. All right. This verse in first Corinthians, Paul is trying to tell the Corinthian church that now wisdom, unlike the books of, 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 of in the old Testament, wisdom is now given to us in this day as Jesus Christ. That is the wisdom that is all now. Now hear me. All the wisdom of the world and God's kingdom is found in Jesus Christ. It is him. It is him. Every decision you need to make, you want to make a wise one, it's in him. All the direction you need to go in your life, you might not make a good direction, it's him. Everything about how everything operates is in him. That's a big deal. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I want to look at this other verse. It says. Chapter two says, verse two, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. Stop right there. Paul is saying, when I came to you. Now, let's look at this earlier verses. He says the Jews, they demanded a sign. Yeah. Right. Now, Thessalonians tells us very clearly that when the lawless one comes that he will perform signs and miracles. So the church age has to have something that is in spirit and power that's not necessarily a sign, all right? Because people will be led astray by the signs, okay? There's a time and place for signs, and that was to fulfill the Old Testament through Christ. Not to say that miracles don't happen, but they're not a sign, okay? Do you understand? All right, a sign says this thing has happened to point to something. We already know what's happening. All right. Okay. So the lawless one comes to produce signs. So the Jews demanded a sign. He says, and the Greeks demand wisdom. So I decided, Paul says, that I'm going to come to you with none of that. (laughs) That's what he's saying. I'm not going to come to you making signs. I'm not going to come to you trying to be all wise, trying to tell you how, you know, you can live your best life in Christ Jesus. To tell you how God wants you to be ambitious and to, and to have so many dreams that it just focuses around you achieving all your dreams and all your goals. Because that's what's important, that you achieve all your dreams and all your goals. See, that would be words of wisdom. And we all have fallen victim to them because they sound really good, don't they? Yeah. It sounds like, yeah, God would want me to have all my dreams. Yeah. And <laughs> it sounds very good. He says, I'm not coming with that. What I'm going to come with is one thing. I'm only going to talk about one thing. I'm only going to preach one thing. I'm only going to teach you one thing. And that's Christ crucified. Now, 
Y'all don't see the power in that statement, apparently. Okay. Okay. He didn't say Christ resurrected. He didn't say Christ ascended. Y'all don't want to help me preach today. These are some truths about Christ's crucifixion that if in the modern day we'd be like, and he got up, okay? The story don't end with the cross. He got up three days later. He's sitting on the right hand of God right now, running stuff. Ooh, we love that, don't we? He doing something. Y'all thought you had him, but you didn't. He's up, right? Paul says, mm-mm. He says, if I preach that, then that, that will make sense that you will follow and believe somebody like that. If I preach that he raised up from the dead, then it will make sense that there's some power and some validity to this by nature of that sign, and so you might believe because of the sign. Right? Like there's a lot of witnesses that saw him got up. He got up, so it's a fact though, he got up. So now you believe him because of the sign, right? Or if I tell you how you can have a wealth in your life, how you can find the right mate to marry, And I can tell you how your marriage could be successful because that's what God wants in your life. And I begin to preach that. Then here are words of wisdom because everybody, especially in the black church, want to make me be a black preacher to tell them how they can have everything. And they really start going, oh, she's so black. Amen. Amen. And they'd be like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Well, that's true too. (laughs) Before you know it, you got by the gospel. Yeah. Right. There's not even words of wisdom that appeal to how you want to run your life in the best way you can have your dreams met and you can have this. It's not even, he's, I'm not even give you that. Only thing I'm going to teach and preach and impart to you the wisdom of God, and that's Christ was crucified. You go, Paul, we're trying to build a church here. Paul, we're trying to build a church. Okay? Okay? You don't preach the losing side of the story. Paul, we're trying to build a church, all right? You don't preach the most embarrassing, the most humiliating, the most painful aspect of the story of Christ. Paul, you preach the powerful side. You preach the winning side. You preach the raised side. Come on, Paul, we need butts in seats. You going to preach that, that he was crucified? I mean, skip to the... Paul, you're losing your audience. So his sermons went, Christ was the Messiah. He was the son of God and the man of God. Son of God and the son of man. Everybody knew it. He had plenty of signs that pointed to it. The Jews and the Romans, they crucified him. Put him on a cross, and he just started describing the crucifixion. They crucified him. Amen. And then he sat down like that was the end of the sermon. That, Christ was crucified. Why is this wisdom and why is it powerful? If I tell you the story of just Christ's crucifixion, how he was embarrassed, how he was humiliated, how he hung up there being God himself and died, and you decide to follow after that, then your religion came from God himself. It came from God himself, baby. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again so people that didn't catch it can catch it again. They'll stand up too. All right, now watch watch them do it again. Let's do it again. If I preach that the God I want you to serve was embarrassed, stripped naked, whipped, 
humiliated, spat on, made fun of, and mocked, then painfully nailed to a cross for everybody to see. And that was Jesus. Follow him. And I go back and sit down. To every heart that heard that God himself hung upon a tree. Every heart that heard that the son of God and the son of man hung upon a tree. Every heart and Jew that can say the Messiah hung upon a tree. Every heart that can believe that and follow. I'm a following the one that with the one that got hung on a tree. I'm a follow behind the one that got humiliated. I'm a follow behind the one that looked like he was losing. I'm a follow behind the one that looked like he had no power. I'm a follow behind him. He, he's the one that I want to follow. I want to follow Paul says if you believe that then the spirit of God has brought you your faith in religion because that is never appealing to the wisdom of the world that is never appealing to those seeking signs that is never appealing to those who need wisdom earthly wisdom so you believe that you're going to follow that one. Now, as a sidebar, there's this constant conversation happening in these chapters against worldly wisdom and, and spiritual wisdom. As a sidebar, you as a believer that follows the man who is also God that hung upon a tree, just that part, says that you recognize that there's something grossly wrong with this world. No, you need to hear me. If you see and you believe this, as a Christian, you say, so I'm going to follow the one because he, he was a good man. Apparently, he was perfect, all right? And all of our mess, as we do, full of vile passions and vile practices and selfish ambition and jealousy, those things could rise up in us, huh? And, and, and we could kill. We could, this, this world is shot out. By accepting Christ and his crucifixion, you're saying this world is terrible and I want nothing to do with it and everything to do with whatever that is right there. I'm following after one that said, bump all of this. I'm going to be obedient to God. Take this body. I'm going to be obedient to God. Take my reputation. I'm going to be obedient to God. Take my money. I'm going to be obedient to God. Take my time. I'm going to be obedient to God. You want to take my family? They don't want to come over here? Take them too. I'm going to be obedient to God. That's exactly how he moved. That's how he moved. He said, I want to follow him. That's the one. That faith had to come from God. Because man cannot generate that type of belief in of itself because it's not wise and it's not powerful. He says, so I'm only preaching Christ crucified. And let's see what you do with that. Because those that are attracted to the power, those that are attracted to the, he's a way maker. Yeah. All right? Those that are attracted to, he'll let you out of prison. All right? I mean, that has its place, but also you will suffer in prison. Yeah. You will be martyred in prison. Yeah. You can hung upon a tree. Hello, somebody. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Are you still going to follow him? Because yeah. it's the same God. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same God. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's the same God. And would you follow him if all you saw was God's crucifixion? That's a powerful statement. He puts on odds everybody that is attracted to, to the power of the kingdom of God. And a lot of Christians come in, especially in the black church, because we have been disenfranchised for generations upon generations, made to feel powerless for generations upon generations. That new form of uh, prosperity message and gospel that says we are above and not beneath, they misinterpret that, you know, the head and not the tail, you know, those types of things. We are attracted to that because it, it represents power. And this message, that particular type of message of the gospel, it is, it's good to those who need to hear how they could have control. So a lot of believers come into the house of God hearing ways that they could have control in their life where the whole life is about them but themed with God, right? So they can have control because if you have a sense of control, you like it. Tell me how I can control more of my life. Tell me how I can get more of my stuff to go my way. Tell me how I can have it more, you know. That's, that you're attracted to that. And they come in church and they're like, yeah, I love Jesus. And we all think we're saying the same thing. But we not. We all think we live in the same thing, but we not. And Paul is saying now to the Corinthian church, this is what I'm bringing to you, that what seeds grow from this are pure faith, yeah. are pure words of wisdom from above. He says, I wanted to preach words of wisdom at first, but I didn't. He said, then later to the mature I would impart more spiritual wisdom. But you first got to take the Christ crucified. You got to take him crucified. Because when we try to give you more spiritual wisdom before you fully accepted Christ crucified, your life don't make no sense. Your desires don't make no sense. The gospel don't make no sense. This church thing don't make no sense. This, this Bible thing, it just don't make no sense. Because you didn't accept Christ crucified. Yeah. When you accept Christ crucified, and then I start to talk to you about spiritual warfare. Oh, it's a different mindset. Yeah. Spiritual warfare, man, we about to fight. We about to get bloody up in here. Let's go. Versus, oh, do we have to get bloody? Can't we just by faith just believe that the Lord would just move everything out of our way? No. When you receive Christ crucified, you're like, you doggone straight. It's about to be a war. <laughs> Christ was crucified. It ain't going to fully go out right now, but I'll tell you one thing. That devil ain't going to step over here. It's a different type of feeling when you know Christ was crucified and you accept that. You're not complaining every time something bad happens. You're not complaining every time something don't go your way. Y'all don't want to help me. You're not breaking down every time you stub your toe, every time you catch a flat. You're like, oh, God, why me? It's like, you know that dog on Satan just... got to keep on keeping on I got to keep on keeping on you you respond differently because you know Christ was crucified and you don't think that all this little stuff that is happening to you is somehow so much greater than Christ being crucified and he's the one that you decided to follow amen that's pretty much it that's pretty much it Standing all over the house. 